We're going to be reading from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11. If you're willing and able, please stand in honor of God's word. Acts chapter 1. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, good morning. It is great to see you. Welcome to Trinity. We are continuing our series on mission in the book of Acts. And if you, if you know me, if you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know that I'm an, an early church guy. I Love the early church. I love the book of Acts. We've taught through it three times in our first less than five years. And, and I love the early church because of their, their incredible commitment to mission and community, to life together, and, and how everything that they lived out was the overflow of their time with Jesus just, just years before. And so they serve as an incredible example for us of what Jesus lived like and, and how how we as a church can live like. Uh, but then there's this, I don't know if you know this one, but there's an insult in the church world um, uh, that, that goes something like this, that, that if you have not fully embraced technology in the church, you know, if you're not streaming services, if you don't have a church app, uh, if you're not podcasting and YouTubing everything, if, if you're not doing all those things, then you're a 20th century church. That's the insult, all right? Church insults aren't that deeply cutting, but the idea is if, if all you're doing is Sunday gatherings and small groups, you are stuck in the 20th century. 
Now, here's what they don't know about us. Here's what they don't know. We're not trying to be a 21st century church. We're trying to be... No, that's not even the good part. We're trying to be a first century church. You can clap at that if, you, if you're going to clap at something. You don't have to clap, but... See, we're not, we're not 20 years outdated. We're trying to be 2,000 years outdated. All right? And so because of that, we, we try to embrace the way of the early church. You know, it's also kind of why we keep the tech to a, a minimum and, and production is fairly simple, you know? Um, if you come into the, the kids' ministry, you know, we've got the check-in station there with a little labor, label printer. If we have to use technology, you know, we slap duct tape over the top of it. That's a way for us to just kind of set expectations for the day. You know, this will prepare you for the preaching as you come in. <laughs> But, but we're trying to be a, a church, a, a first century style church in the 21st century. Michael Green, he's a, an early church scholar in England, and he writes this of the first century church. Three crucial decades in world history, that is all it took. In the years between 33 and 64, a movement was born in those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion adherents. And the seedbed for all this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. And so this is what we are after as a church. You know, you can, you can keep the apps and the, the TikToks and all of those things and, and give us the, the burning desire for more of the presence of God. Give us, give us the, the Holy Spirit-empowered gospel witness and church planting that we find in the book of Acts. Uh, Green goes on to ask this question. We, we can and should ask ourselves if those people then acted in the way that they did, what are the implications for disciples today given all the differences brought about by culture, space, and time? In other words, how do we live as a first century church in the 21st century? And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're doing what's essentially a, a two-part sermon on God's heart for the nations, the, the global expression of our mission as the people of God. And, and it's, it's a two-part sermon because when I wrote it this week, it was over 60 minutes long. Uh, we also have our dear friends Michael and Julie here. They're missionaries that we support, and so we want to hear from them. So I'm just reluctantly splitting the sermon into two sermons. Maybe you'll be fine with that. So, you know, half and half. But it won't feel complete today, perhaps, but I'm going to invite Michael and Julie up at the end so you could hear from them a little bit. So three things we're going to look at, the promise of missions, the power of missions, and the joy of missions. So we'll start with the promise. And as we've seen already, the book of Acts, this is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. This is a continuation of what Jesus was teaching and doing on earth, only now he's doing it through the apostles, through the men and women who were Jesus' closest followers. And so Jesus' ministry is continuing in the book of Acts, but now it's continuing through the people of God. One of the verses, though, that we haven't looked at, verse 6, the disciples, as, as Jesus is still on earth, they come to him and they say, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, it's a, it's a reasonable question for that moment because they thought, you know, Jesus came from heaven. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. So certainly, like now is the time. Now is the time for Jesus to gather all the, the people on earth to, to come into Israel, this, this ethnic you know, kingdom of Israel, bring them in, bring them to Jerusalem, and we will reign on earth forever. That's what they thought. And then verse eight or verse seven, Jesus responds, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, he's saying not everyone will come flocking to Jerusalem. You're not to be in gatherers into the people of Israel, but in fact, this will look much different than you expect he goes on to say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in the town where you are, where your family and friends are, in Judea, the, the surrounding region among your own ethnic people group, in Samaria, the, the place that you believe to be beneath you, the overlooked and the disadvantaged. And if that wasn't hard enough, even to the ends of the earth, you are to take this message and, and power and the presence of God into every corner of the globe, across cultures, across oceans, into other languages. And so Jesus is saying, the world is not going to come to you. You are not in-gatherers into the, the city of Jerusalem, but rather you are going to be sent ones. You are going to be outgoers, not in-gatherers, but, but outgoers into the world. So I'm going to send you from Jerusalem into all of the world. And so Jesus launched a, a perpetual world missions movement here in Acts 1.8. And it's what we're still engaged in today. The book of Acts actually shows that this promise of, of Jesus and this commission is beginning to be fulfilled. It's actually built into the structure of Acts. So they go and they, they are witnesses in Jerusalem in Acts 2 through 7. And then they're witnesses in Judea and Samaria in Acts 8 through 11. And then they're witnesses to Christ to the ends of the earth in Acts 11 through 28. It's already being fulfilled and it's baked into the structure of Acts. Now, why is this? Why does God desire that we be sent out? Why do the, the disciples become apostles? So disciple means a, a learner, a follower, an apprentice, a student. That's what disciple means, but an apostle is a sent one, a witness, an, an ambassador. And this is the pattern for all believers, even today, that we are both disciples and apostles. We are sent ones. And this is the pattern that we often talk about, that God draws us in to know him, to experience life with him, to be filled with his presence and his power, to be filled with his life and his joy, all the fruit of the spirit. And then he sends us out. So he draws us in to know him and then he sends us out to make him known. And yet he sends us out with his very presence. And so we are never alone in the mission he's given us. We call this renewal-driven mission, that it's not out of duty or obligation that we go and we share our faith, but it's out of a kind of overflow of joy that we go and we share. See, the best kind of mission is always overflow. 
It's an overflow of our, our love for God, overflow of our love for each other and the church, overflow of our love for those who are, are far off, who have not heard the good news about Jesus. We get to act as witnesses and ambassadors for the King, not only in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, among our families and friends, but, but all over the globe. The British missiologist Leslie Newbegin says, mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? And so God has called us to be both disciples and apostles, apprentices and ambassadors. Jesus prayed over his people in John 17, as you have sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. And Jesus sends us just as he himself was sent. But the question is, why, why into all the earth? Why, why to all the nations? What, what difference does that make? I mean, efficiency-wise, wouldn't it be easier to just find the most receptive places and then bring in like the maximum number of people possible? Perhaps, but efficiency, as you'll see in Acts, is not the driving force. 1 Timothy 2 says God desires all mankind to be saved. Specifically, God desires that people from every single nation on earth, and when the Bible says nation, both Old and New Testament, it's not talking about the, the political states that we have today because those boundaries and identities are changing every few hundred years rather, he's talking about distinct ethnic people groups. And he desires that every single distinct ethnic people group on earth would have a gospel witness in it, would have people who are praising and worshiping God, would, would have a self-renewing church that's able to reach the culture. And Jesus promises that this will one day take place. This is the, the promise of missions right here in Matthew 24. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He's saying this will happen. This is a promise. Jesus' mission is to preach the gospel and to see people saved from every tongue, tribe, and nation before the end will come, before the renewal of all things. And so in other words, there, there will be a day when every single language on earth is also represented in heaven. But that day is, has not yet come. And until every single language is being spoken in heaven, the end has not come, and we are still involved in this mission. And if you think about this, this is the most beautiful thing because God's image is spread across all people all over the world. And every distinct people group and every language reveals something true about God that just one culture couldn't possibly bear. And so if not every people group, not every culture is represented in heaven, then God's image is not fully represented there until every people group has been represented in heaven. There's an incompleteness until every group is represented. Revelation 7, we just read it as part of our liturgy. It says, it confirms this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. And so it's our our privilege and our calling to be part of this global plan of redemption, to see the gospel spread to, to every corner of the earth and into every single group, every nation on earth. And this is a problem, a promise. It, it will happen. It will not fail. Now we'll look at how this begins to play out in Acts 11. That's the second thing, the, the power of missions. In between Acts 1 and Acts 11, there's a period of incredible growth. The gospel begins to spread and thousands of people are coming to Christ, but there's also incredible persecution. People are being arrested, they're being killed, they're being dragged out of their homes, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their homes. And because of this, the early church gets thrown out of Jerusalem. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Imagine coming to faith and and being overjoyed to now be welcomed into the kingdom of Christ, and then everything starts to fall apart, right? And, and, And a lot of gospel presentations were like, turn to Jesus, everything will get better. And then in Acts, they they turn to Jesus and everything gets harder. Just immense persecution and opposition everywhere they go. And so they're they're thrown out of their homes, rejected by their own people. And they're spread out into the nations. And they would have been wondering, where are you, God? What good could possibly come from this? And chapter 11 says, Now those who had been scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And I love how this this first great missionary effort begins. I mean, there is zero planning, zero fundraising, zero strategy. It, It just sort of happens almost by accident. So as they're, they're persecuted and they got into the nations, their, their task is to preach first to the, the Jews that have been displaced into all these other places that haven't heard the gospel yet. But it's like as they're preaching only to the Jews, the Gentiles begin to overhear. And they say, is this, is this true? Is there really a God who, who loves us this deeply, who has created us for himself? And has he really made a way for all of our sin to be forgiven and and wiped away because he sent his own heavenly son to die on the cross and bear the entire penalty? Is it really true that we have nothing to do except receive this good news? Can we be a part of this? Will you let us in? And the Jews are like, we'll have to check. And so they, they literally go back, news, or, uh, yeah, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, verse 22, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the great, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas goes and he, and he finds Paul. He can't find him for a while. You know, Paul's, his phone's on do not disturb or something. That's a thing that pastors do. Don't take it personally. All the best ones are hard to get a hold of. And it says, For a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And then verse 26, I love this. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now this is why I've I've chosen to focus on on Acts 11 this morning. And then we're going to look at Acts 12 and 13 next Sunday. It's because of this little church in Antioch. Antioch was a, a... incredible global city. It was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. 
It was a city where they had intentionally opened up their borders to, to anyone and everyone. They had bridges coming in and out of the city. It was a place of, of commerce and, and action. People wanted to be there. The, the official language was changed to Greek. And so now you had Greeks, Romans, Jews, Africans, Asians, all coming in to Antioch. It was a, a multicultural megacity. And so it was an incredible place for the, for the gospel to come. And then it, it became to be an incredible place for the, for the gospel to come from. So first it came there and then it spread out from there. It became the first sending church in the New Testament. And the reason the disciples were called Christians here is because they, they simply couldn't be called anything else. They couldn't be identified by their ethnicity or by their language or by their social status or their educational background. None of it made any sense. Nothing held it together except Jesus. So it's like, what do you call them? So they came up with Christians, literally little Christ. We'll call them little Christ. We'll see next week. And, and the power of this, this little church through prayer and worship and fasting, they, they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy, the Holy Spirit said, blank, I mean, amazing. And they begin this, this incredible missionary movement. And so where do you get this kind of power? Where do you get this kind of energy? Where do you get the strength to sustain an, an incredible movement of God, a whole new missionary expansion from scratch? And the power of missions is always this. It's the relational presence of God. You might say, Jeremy, you said a couple weeks back that the, the power of prayer was the relational presence of God. And I even remember further back, you said something about the power of community groups being the relational presence of God. And that's right. The power of, of everything is the relational presence of God. You just got full circled. It's always the relational presence of God. Jesus told them in our passage, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In the Great Commission, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's why Barnabas was so good. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit launches and sustains us all the way. Again, to quote Michael Green, he says, The Spirit is the supreme reality in Acts. He was the overwhelming priority in the lives of the disciples. They knew they were useless without Him. At all costs, they needed to be filled and to remain full of this marvelous Pentecost gift who equipped them for their mission. And so if we are wise, if we want strength, if we want the energy of the Lord, if we just want joy and peace and life, then we will seek to be filled with the Spirit and we will seek to, to follow Jesus into this great world mission. That's the third thing, the joy of missions. You know, we're, we're hardwired to be a, a people that are shaped by great mission, a people that are, that are designed for, for purpose, for adventure, for things that stir us up by the great quest if you've been around children, you've seen this. My, my nine-year-old the other day was playing with Legos in his room, but he wasn't building anything. So I went in there. I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's got two Lego guys. He's like, this guy's trying to blow up the world. But this guy's going to fight him. It's like, awesome. Can I watch? You don't, have to, you don't have to tell children to be excited about grand missions 
Our older boys, they're reading Lord of the Rings, the, the great quest against all odds. They're, they're watching Spider-Man, superheroes battling against the darkness. You ask a nine-year-old what he wants to be when he grow up, grows up, it's like astronaut, fighter pilot. The fallback option is NFL quarterback, you know? They don't say office staff. I just really want a 15-year mortgage. That's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. And all that's, all that's good and fine, but we, we need something that will capture our hearts and minds. We were created for so much, and yet the world takes a, a young person's desire for significance and to make a difference, and it just chokes it out. It chokes it out with, with secularism, which says that all truth is relative. Nothing really matters. Chokes it out with cynicism. Nothing will, will change the world anyways. Chokes it out with consumerism. You know, all that really matters is your comfort. So just try to accumulate as much as you can and you'll be happy. Our world wants us to believe that there is nothing more important than our own personal individual fulfillment. But there's a, there's a problem here. Because if we're living for our own joy, and that's, that's the highest aim is just our, our kind of individual happiness and freedom, then we will never have anything to give our lives for. Nothing we'll ever lay down our lives for. And if there's nothing that we'll sacrifice for, nothing that we'll die for, then there's really nothing that we're living for. Tim Keller says there's an irony that by exaggerating our significance, we lose our significance. By raising our needs to the highest level, higher than any cause or commitment, we no longer have anything worth sacrificing for. We have gained our freedom and lost our joy because we have lost our mission. And this connection between missions and joy, it comes back to John chapter 17. When Jesus says, as the Father sends me, so I send them, the word send, it's in the Latin, that's missio. It's where we get our English word mission. It's, it's all about missions. And he's saying, if you want the fullness of joy, it's through a life on mission. At the very end, he says, I have done this so that your joy may be full. There is no lasting joy apart from great missions. I was trying to find a, a quote this week. Um, maybe you've heard it. There are no grand missions left. I don't think I made that up. So I was like, let me just Google it. It's either Teddy Roosevelt or Indiana Jones. And so I, I Googled it. And literally every result on the first page was video game forums where they're getting an error message on Grand Theft Auto saying there are no missions left. And it's some kind of glitch, and people freak out and go online and try to figure out what's gone wrong. I'm like, a lot has gone wrong. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. You see, we're, we're designed to give our lives to great battles and great missions, and we, when we don't have anything worth giving ourselves to, we find the strangest and the lamest outlets possible. I remember back to my first year at Mizzou, a freshman history class, the professor asked, who here wants to change the world? And like every hand in the class went up. I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, just stick to the syllabus, doc. I know you think you're Robin Williams, but let's just keep it going here. But it's like everyone is a radical when they're 19. Nobody's a radical when they're 40. 
I mean, there were no radicals left except Christians. Like, except Christians that are still living on mission, still believe that there is truth, still believe that they can make a difference in the world. That there are people out there who need to hear the gospel, whose lives can be saved by the grace of God, and who are willing to give themselves to it. There are all kinds of ways that we can fill our lives with with missional engagement. Even raising small children is part of the mission of God, working and sharing the gospel with people. But the principle is the, the greater the mission, the greater the joy. Because the greater your dependence on the presence of God. The greater the mission, the greater the joy, because the greater your need will be, your need for God's presence to show up. That's why we even hope our church is kind of lame until God shows up. Like if God is not present here, then what on earth are we doing? We deeply believe that this little church can be a launching pad to the nations. That's literally all the second half of the sermon that I've got to save for next week. It was way too long, so we're just going to part to it. I'll explain why and how I think that's the case, that we can genuinely and deeply be a launching pad to the nations. In a moment, I'm going to invite uh, Michael and Julie up so you can hear from them and how God has stirred them into a life of commitment to missions. But as we close, I want you to just remember the heart of the gospel. Remember this good news that we've embraced. Even though we put ourselves in place of God, we tried to take control of our lives, tried to seek our own fulfillment apart from Him. We tried to put ourselves in God's place, and so He came down and put Himself in our place. We tried to substitute ourselves for God, and so Jesus came down and substituted Himself for us. And why did He do this? Why did He go to the cross? I mean, think about the most painful most lonely, most, most awful and, and excruciating way that you could die. And Jesus goes right to it. Why? Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy set before him. Because he knew if he laid down his life, then there would be God's desire that every tongue, tribe, and nation represented in heaven by the end. He knew that laying down his life, Jesus knows better than anyone how to live in this world, and it's through sacrifice, through giving your life away for the sake of others. That's where real joy can be found. And this is a Christ-shaped life. This is a a mission-shaped life. It's the way to joy for you and for all the world. So let me pray, and Michael and Julie, you guys can come up. Father, we, we do long for your heart. As the, as the song says, as we've prayed already, would you give us your heart? Give us your heart for the world. Give us your heart for the nations. Give us your heart for our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers. But Lord, would you stir us up even now? I pray that there would be people here who would sense a deep calling to the nations, a deep commitment to live for others in an incredibly unique, and less-reached place. Lord, I thank you so much for Michael and and Julie and for their willingness to 
to come to use part of their summer sabbatical to, to encourage us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be an encouragement to them as well. So, Lord, we love you and pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, guys. So this is Michael and Julie. If you would just give it up for them. We are so glad to have you guys. Um, Would you guys just kind of introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourselves and kids and and maybe just where where you're at, as much as you can say, you know. Yeah. um, Well, first of all, we're just so thankful for every single one of you guys. Um, We're just so blessed to see all of you guys here and incredible how... Um, really, you guys have been supporting us from day one, so we thank you guys for that, and thank you to Jeremy, too, for building that into the DNA of your church. Um, from day one, before anything was coming in, he said, we're going to support you, so um, we're so thankful. Anyway, so we're Michael and Julie, um, and we have three kids, ages eight, eight-year-old boy, six-year-old girl, and a four-year-old girl. Um, so yeah, we live in a big city in the Middle East, and um, it's about 15.5 million people in our city, extremely um, urban and not a lot of green space. Um, Our city, well, our whole country is 99.9% Muslim, so there are very, very, very few Christians um, where we live. That's great. Okay. Um, maybe before you kind of tell us a little bit about what you're doing, how did you, how did you make your way here? What was it like to, to sort of get a, a sense of calling into a, a world of mission work? What, what was the process like in getting uh, to the, the city you're at now? Yeah, well, Julie and I both have different stories, actually. We actually met in our city. Um, we had both moved there separately as singles. And so if any of you out there are still single and you're wrestling with the call, uh, to go overseas, know that that's actually a great way to meet your spouse. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think that both of us separately, um, through our own separate stories, uh, were really uh, just impressed with the desire to share the love of Christ with uh, those who not only haven't heard, but don't actually have access for where they are. So for us, that was a big factor, uh, going to places where um, people don't necessarily have access in their local community to hear the gospel. Yeah, that's great. Um, so tell us what, what you're doing, maybe a little glimpse into an ordinary week uh, in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I loved, um, uh, earlier was it Emily who shared the, the vision of this church, and it's very similar actually to the vision of our team, which our vision is to see our city uh, renewed uh, for the city's good and God's glory. And now where we are, it's not necessarily a place that you can just show up and say, here, I'm here to start a new church. But it is absolutely open a business. Mm-hmm. And so we own a business where we design and manufacture pour-over coffee drippers. Uh, if that sounds really niche, it is extremely niche. <laughs> uh, but that's my background in the specialty coffee industry. And so, yeah, that's what we do. That's awesome. So cool. Um, tell us about maybe some of the challenges uh, that you're facing on a regular basis, uh, as well as maybe a few blessings uh, that you experience. Yeah, so the challenges right now, you guys might have heard how inflation's pretty out of control. So that's um, been a challenge for us where we are. Um, the uh, currency is falling very quickly. <laughs> so um, there's that. There's also, there's just been, there's a lot of crises um, one after another, crises in our family, um, just living cross-culturally can be difficult, um, and crisis with the government, 
Yeah, and, and earlier this year, across our region, we were hit with a massive earthquake that tragically mm -hmm. took the lives of 50,000 people. Mm -hmm. And so even uh, just for us as, as a team and as business owners, we actually responded to just completely put everything else kind of on pause and really kind of mobilized as a disaster relief team for a, a month. And, you know, and I think a lot of us in, in the country are still recovering from that kind of trauma or secondary trauma of, of seeing such incredible devastation. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the, the flexibility of, of what you all have been doing. I know the Lord's kind of redirected you a little bit, but even in response to the earthquake, that's something we see throughout Acts, that the, the method of reaching people is, is totally dependent on what's going on in the city. So um, maybe a few of the, the blessings or, or things that have been... Uh, most exciting or most rewarding? I, I think for both of us, we'd say kind of the last few years, really unprecedented numbers of people coming to faith. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was not uncommon 20 years ago in our country that you would meet someone that like, oh yeah, I've been here 20 years and I've baptized one person. Mm -hmm. um, but really, really in the last few years, we've been kind of um, shocked by the number of people coming to faith, many of whom, you know, like downloaded the Bible on their phone and started reading it on their own. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the, the greatest blessings. And also just, um, you know, we've, we really struggled for the couple years, um, visa security and as well as uh, just, you know, a couple uh, failed startups and things like that where we weren't really able to find our footing at first. And so now that this, we've started this new business about two years ago, it's really provided kind of a more stable platform for us mm -hmm. to stay in the country. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Love it. Yeah, thank you. Can I add to you that? And also just through our business, we didn't expect for um, like the, the coffee community where we are to really just embrace us and become our friends and be just a network of support for us and for us to be able to live out um, discipleship through life on life um, with them and then as well as um, with our national church that we're a part of to be able to start discipling and just sharing um, sharing life with them as well so yeah love it um, as you know, we, we talk a lot about prayer here. It's, it's one of our core values and something that, that matters so much to us. Um, and I'd ask you guys, you know, what's a way that prayer kind of shapes what you do day in and day out? Yeah, um, we have seen such incredible fruit through prayer. Um, we've seen especially um, God just reaching people that we've been praying for or that we've shared about with our prayer network um, who are finding miraculous ways that God is reaching out to them. So one of them is our babysitter who's been babysitting our kids um, from day one and always prayed for her. She was very unresponsive, unreceptive. Um, but one day I just, the Lord was like, you need to share about her and ask for prayer for her. And so we did. And maybe a month later, she came to me and she said, Julie, I had a dream last night that I would love to share with you. And I was like, okay. And she said, uh, I was walking through our neighborhood and there was an old building and it was very broken down. And I know my neighborhood and I'd never seen that building before. So I, so I thought, I'm going to go and check it out. And she said, when I looked in the, the broken down, empty windows, there was tons of people inside and it seemed to be teeming with life. Uh, so I walked up and I knocked on the door and you came to the door, 
And I said, Julie, whose house is this? And you said, this is the house of Jesus, the Savior. And you invited me in. And so I walked in. And your whole family was there, your kids and your husband. And then all these other people were in there. But I looked around, and this house was beautiful. And inside, it didn't look anything like it did on the outside. It was uh, like sparkling floors and beautiful wealth inside, like a very rich person's home. And I asked you again, like, whose house is this? And you said, this is Jesus, the Savior's house. And you're welcome here. And she said, I felt so welcome there. Like, I felt so loved there. And then I woke up. What do you think this means? <laughs> oh, my God. So, thankfully, I was able, you know, we were able to say, like, you definitely receive that from the Lord because that's such a picture of the way that Jesus talked about his um, kingdom. You know, where I'm going, there are many rooms. We're going to have a house for you. And um, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Um, behold, I am the door. So we were able to share those with her. And slowly, slowly, she's becoming more and more open to the gospel. So um, you guys can join us in continuing to pray for her. But um, also the picture of the house just crumbling and broken down. That's definitely how they see Christianity there, which our city used to be uh, crux of Christianity. Um, and so it, it's seen as a place that's crumbling. You know, Christianity is the old, you know, we conquered it. It's, you know, crumbling city walls and crumbling buildings. It's, you know, we took over. But I think that picture in her dream really showed um, her that that's not at all what it is and that there's new life waiting for her. Amazing. Thank you. I've heard that story twice and I'm still like so moved by it. Um, maybe just last question, how can we pray for you guys as a, as a church, as a, as a supporting uh, body of believers? How can we be praying for you? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's so much uh, for, for our business. Uh, we're actually loading a, a new shipping container of, of our newest product to bring here to the States. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the business has provided incredible connections uh, and, and um, status in the local community. But, uh, you know, for those of you who might own small businesses, you also know that, the, that you know, when you're looking at a P&L sheet, like, you also have to be able to, you know, pay your bills. Right. And uh, so just pray that God will continue to bless the business. Mm -hmm. uh, for us as a family, um, you know, we're getting to travel around a lot um, around the states this summer, uh, sharing about our work and connecting with our partners. And so, um, so yeah, please continue to pray for us as we're doing that. Um, you know, we have been hit by a really hard economic situation in our country. And so, uh, you know, there's definitely kind of financial needs there as well. Um, and, and finally, uh, we, we just got word um, yesterday, actually, that the government is making it even harder for foreigners to live in our country. And so we have teammates that are joining us uh, next year, God willing. And so now we're already scrambling to think, okay, how can we provide a way for, for them to stay in the country. Um, and so all these things are always in the back of our mind. And so just pray that God would continue to reassure us that he is in control, that he loves us, and he has a plan for us. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Love to pray for you guys. So um, let's go ahead and pray over them now. If you want to just give them another round of applause, we're so thankful for you guys. Um,
Uh, if you don't mind, why don't you just go ahead and stand and maybe extend your right hand towards them. Uh, Mark and Cam, if you want to come up, and we'll just lay hands on them as well. The band can come up. And Father, we are just so thankful for your love and your grace. You have made a way for us to worship you and even to be uh, a part of your grand plan of redemption. Uh, we, we don't deserve it, Lord, and yet you have called us your sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you so much for Michael and Julie. I thank you that we got to meet him years ago, uh, even when they were preparing to get married, and um, that you, you sent us out to our, our respective missions the same summer and uh, for the encouragement that they've been to Trinity Church. And uh, Lord, we just lift all of these requests. Uh, we pray for their uh, babysitter to, to come to a, a full and saving faith. Uh, we pray for their, their kids to, to thrive and do well in the city where they are. And we pray for their, uh, their small business, that you would just give your, your hand of favor on it, that it would be um, just thriving, able to uh, employ more uh, local people, and uh, pray that you would remove some of those current, uh, current burdens that the, the economy has brought on. Um, and Lord, more than anything, would you sustain them by your power and by your spirit so that they can be fruitful for, for years and decades and however long you have them in this city, Lord. Would you bless the work of their hands would you spark a, a mighty act of renewal in this city and across the region? Uh, nobody is too far off. Nobody is too far away. Um, but Lord, you desire that each and every one of them be saved. And we know that there are many uh, who will be called into your kingdom in this city. Uh, and it just takes us a while to go and find them. So Lord, would you bless the work of their hands? Would you encourage them today at Sunday night prayer and all that they're doing uh, on this summer sabbatical, would you be with them? Bless and encourage them. Lord, we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.